me encourage you to take it out. You did bring your Bible, right? Yeah, it looks like you did. Find the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and just chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses here and think about those verses for a few moments. And then I'm going to do something a little different than what we'd typically do on a Sunday, uh, Sunday night. You know, um, we typically come together and read Scripture and expound on Scripture and uh, mine the truths out of that Scripture. But I want to talk to you about fishing tonight and that following the Lord Jesus Christ means fishing, and we're going to do it in a little different way. In fact, what I'm going to share with you is one of the lectures that I share in one of the classes that I teach at the Bible College at Clear Creek, and so I don't want you to feel like you're in school tonight. That's not my intention, but the last time I shared this lecture with one of my classes, I thought to myself, you know, our church folk need to hear this. They need to be exposed to this, and so I'll just tell you up front that what we'll do tonight is a little different. Is that okay? Is it okay for us to do something just a little different? It's going to be a little different So bear in there with me, but I think uh, it will help you become people who are better fishers of men. You know this couple of verses is from the very early days of the Lord's ministry as he was making his base of operations there in Capernaum, and he was starting to choose his apostles. And this is the moment when he calls out not only Andrew, but also Andrew's brother, Peter. Now, other gospels shed a little more light on this, and they teach us that actually Andrew came to the Lord first, and then he would ultimately bring his brother, Peter, along. And so Andrew, by a lot of New Testament scholars' estimation, is sort of the first New Testament evangelist. He came to Christ, Christ saved him and called him, and then he goes back ultimately and gets his brother Peter. They're out fishing together again one day, and you know the rest of the story. Not only is Andrew then connected to Jesus, but his brother Peter is as well. I I have to take this moment and just tell you, of course, Uh, My baby boy was named Andrew, and he is named Andrew from the Andrew that you find in Scripture. Uh, Amy and I wanted to give our boys good names, and so they're they're well thought through, prayed through names, and and one of the things we wanted with Andrew is for him to have a soul-winning name. And so the first evangelist that we meet in the Gospels, again, is Andrew, So we chose that name for our son. And then Andrew's middle name was Graham. So Andrew Graham. So named after the first evangelist in the Gospels and then named in honor of Billy Graham. So we gave him a good soul-winning name. But it all comes from this story, very simple story, that we find here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. So you can... Uh, follow in your copy of God's Word, or hopefully you can read it on the screen. And by the way, don't we have just some fantastic people 
that work up there for all of us. I just mentioned on the fly this morning when I was leaving, you know, I, I may use a PowerPoint tonight, and I sent it ahead and walked in, and here it is ready to go, and they even had to get in there and tweak it a little bit so that we could all see it. And when I get into some other slides, you'll understand that a little more. So men, thank you so much for all your good help tonight. But here's what the Bible says. Mark 1, 16, Scripture says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who would later be named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. Another way to translate that in more modern English would simply be, Follow me. Jesus looked at Andrew and Peter and said, Just follow me, and if you follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for uh, this story in the Gospels. Thank you, Father, for the way that you chose people then and you continue to choose people today. Thank you, Lord, that the Gospel is made known to everyone who will have ears to hear. And so, Father, you've called us all in a very general sense to have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. And then, Father, as we get into that relationship with him, thank you that you have a purpose and intention for each and every one of us, and that is the calling to be fishers of men. So, Father, help us to learn tonight that to follow you means that we're fishers of men. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us all different ways to fish. Uh, For some, Lord, uh, it's through side door ministries of the church, ways that we can reach people and, and bring them in. Some, Lord, you've called into preaching ministries and teaching ministries and music ministries. Thank you, Lord, for all of those gifts, but just help us to be reminded tonight that that you call and gift us to intentionally be those who fish for people. I pray and I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake, and amen. One of the very most interesting people that I've ever met in my life was a gentleman and I had the privilege to be his pastor uh, the few years I pastored down in South Alabama, and his name was Tom Mann. I'm just curious, do any of you in the room tonight follow professional bass fishing? I don't know if anybody does that or not. There's a couple of you in the room that do that. Well, here's what you need to know about Tom Mann. Before there was uh, any of the Tennessee guys that we used to see on television, particularly on Sunday morning. Some of you remember that. You'd watch the Moles singing convention, right, Bill? And right after Brother Mole was on there, you would, uh, you would watch Bill Dance and Jimmy Houston, some of those guys that would be out. And we didn't understand what catch and release was back in those days, you know, but we'd see them haul in these big old monster bass and then 
throw them back out in the lake. But that's the way you do it when you're a professional fisher because they don't necessarily fish to eat, but they fish to win big dollars. But before there were any of those guys, one of the very first professional bass fishermen was a man by the name of Tom Mann. Tom Mann, again, uh, was in my church, and I'll never forget when I first met him. Tom looked at me, and he said, and it wasn't long after we just exchanged some pleasantries, he said, he said, well, now, Brother Allen, I want you to know that a lot of folks who are members of our church are buzzard Baptists. I was called off guard. And I said, uh, okay, Mr. Tom, you're going to have to help me understand what that means. He said, a buzzard Baptist is a Baptist that shows up when somebody's dead or there's something to eat. <laughs> so I, I knew right then and there that Tom Mann was going to be an interesting person. And so I, I got to know Tom, and he and I developed a close relationship. He actually took me out down on Lake Eufaula fishing and uh, if we weren't dodging big old alligators, we caught big, I mean huge bass. It was incredible just how he knew exactly where to throw the bait and how long to let it sink and all of those things. Just the right speed. And for the first time in my life, I, I really caught some interesting big fish. I actually later would preach Mr. Tom's funeral. He passed away when I was his pastor and it was an interesting sight because all of the who's who in that world, that professional bass fishing world, were at his funeral, uh, hundreds of people that were there. But Tom wrote a book, and I have a copy of that book in my study at home. In fact, I leave it in a place where I see it occasionally because it reminds me of Mr. Tom. But he wrote a book that was entitled, Think Like a Fish. And he signed me a copy, and I, I cherish that. Think Like a Fish. And so Tom, in his book, talks about just some really simple things that he learned, you know, in all of his career of catching fish. And he was a three-time world bass fishing champion, so he knew what he was doing, developed a lure company, made multiplied millions of dollars. Uh, some of you may have used man's bait, and so that's who it is. But in his book, he divides it into sections, and he talks in each section about just some simple things. First of all, he says, if you're going to fish, you have to know what you're fishing for. Now, I just grew up sort of as a bank fisherman, you know, get you some earthworms and get you a decent pole and cast them out there, or maybe some minnows, minnows, I'll say it right here in a minute, and cast them out there and, and just sort of see what bites. And sometimes you catch a pretty good fish, and sometimes you pull a boot out of the lake, right? Uh, so that's sort of how I grew up, but now that... Tom Mann didn't have any tolerance for that. I mean, you had to know what you were fishing for because 
What you were fishing for determined some other things. So he talked about know what you're fishing for. Know where they are. So he spends time in his chapter, and of course his, his real interest was in bass fishing. So he talks about how you catch a great big bass, and if you're fishing at this certain time in the year, this is how deep you need to fish. If it's another time of the year, this is how shallow you fish. I mean, some of you, that's, that's just second nature. You already understand that. Dummies like me, we have to have somebody like Tom Mann point that out. But he, he talks about know where they are. Then he talks about know what they bite. If you're going to catch a good fish, you've got to know what they bite so that you throw out the right bait. And I, I took his book and I thumbed through it and read it pretty quick. It's an easy read. And I went back to him one day and I said, Tom, th- this says a lot about fishing, fishing but also says a lot about fishing for people. Did you know that Jesus was and is the master teacher? Jesus often, through the Gospels, would find someone doing what they did just in their everyday life, and he would sort of use that as a hook to bring them to himself and then to develop their potential for ministry, and so that's exactly what he's doing here with Andrew and Peter. Again, they're Capernaum fishermen. And so Jesus knew exactly the right language to use to get them into the ministry that he had set aside for them to do. And so Jesus just looks at them, and he doesn't make any bargains. He doesn't particularly make any promises, he just says, follow me. Come after me. Follow me. And that's the way it is, my friends, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. A few Sunday nights ago, we thought about that story where Jesus calmed the storm. And Scripture said that the apostles that night took him on the boat with them just as he was, and that's the way we always relate to Jesus. We don't relate to the Jesus that we conjure with our imaginations, but we just follow after Jesus, and we learn a lot more about him after we follow him than we knew about him before we started to follow him, and that's the way it was with Simon and Peter. He just says, come on, boys. Come and follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And notice in verse 18, I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. The Bible says, and straightway, in other words, immediately, they forsook their nets and followed him. And isn't that what we all should do when Jesus says, come? When Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus has something for us to do, we ought to just drop whatever else we're doing and we ought to follow him, particularly when it comes to reaching people for the Lord Jesus. Now, I hope that a little bit of this will uh, inspire you and inform you as you think about homecoming service next Sunday morning and then revival services 
next week. Uh, as we talked about this morning, honestly, revival is more for the church. Remember we said that today, didn't we? You've got to be vived before you ever get revived. And so it's for the church. But I've always seen God move in unusual ways when the church is ready and hungry for revival to the place that they begin to reach out and contact others and have others to come and be a part of what God's doing in that series of meetings. So I hope a little bit about what we're uh, talking about tonight will, will help you as you think through the next week and then way beyond next week in, in just the life God's given you to live and the fishing ministry that God's called you to, I hope that what we talk about tonight will help you. So I want to give you, this is where we sort of get into uh, a different area that maybe you're not used to on a Sunday night, and I won't do this with you much on Sundays particularly, but, but I really felt led to do it tonight. I want to give you a little American evangelism history. I love studying church history, but particularly I love to study American church history because things began to happen when our pilgrim forefathers left the old country and came here. God began to work not only on this continent, but he literally began to work around the world in, in an unusual and a new way when all of that happened. But I want to tell you that when we think about evangelism and the way the church has grown and people have been reached, we have some thoughts that may or may not necessarily be the way things are. Our practices, when it comes to evangelism and our activities, uh, have led to what I would call a lore. And a lore is just sort of a story that you've come to believe about the way that we do evangelism. And so there are some things, particularly in the Baptist church, that we have held dearly over the years, and we keep going back to these things to try to reach people for Christ. We do mass events. Now, a mass evangelism event is like a, a crusade or like a uh, revival at times where we're trying to reach lost people. And so, uh, and you see the guys, how they made the font a different color so you could see it tonight. They've done a great job. But mass events, church revivals, back in older days, we had camp meetings. Has anybody ever been to a camp meeting? Uh, a few of us have, but that's not something we do much anymore. But it's a way that we've believed over the years that people come to faith in Christ. Uh, home visitation, a lot of times just cold calling. I would venture to say that several of us in the room tonight have just walked up to door and knocked on the door. Sometimes our knees were knocking louder than our fists were on the door. But we do that, and, and we just sort of believe that God has used these things in a mass-type way to lead people to Christ. Now, before I say anything else, 
I want you to look at the red-lettered words that I put up there, not because they're words of Christ, but because I want you to hear me clearly. God has used these. Would you not agree? Have you been to a revival and God used that meeting that night? The Word was preached, the Spirit was moving, people responded and somebody left there saved. We know that God has used mass events. We talked about Billy Sunday this morning and how God used those services. We know that in a profound way, God used men like Billy Graham. There doesn't seem to be anybody else that God has given that mantle to right now. But God has used those. So don't hear me say tonight that God has not used this little bullet list that I've placed on the screen. That's not my point. I'm not saying that God has not used these, and I'm not saying that God won't use these. Who am I to tell God how He's going to reach people with the gospel? So that's not my point. But here's the truth of the matter. We held on to a lore, and by and large, we still hold on to it today. And really, until some people came along and researched it, we didn't actually know how people were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, how they were being reached, because, again, nobody, until a certain man came along, started to investigate the facts. Here's what we know. We know how we were reached. I know how I was reached. And I suspect that many of you in the room tonight are a lot like me. Perhaps you grew up in a home where mom and dad believed in the Bible. They believed in Jesus. They taught you about the things of the Lord. You were brought to church. Some of us grew up on drugs, right? Drug to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every night of the revival service. You know what I'm talking about. And so that worked for many of us. And, and, and in my life, because of my mom and dad, because of good Sunday school teachers, because of good neighbors, I just had a gospel influence in my life. And I told you a little bit this morning. When I came to know the Lord Jesus... It wasn't like somebody was sitting down by my side and leading me down the Romans road or whatever evangelism tool that you would like to use. I just knew. I knew I was lost. I knew John 3.16. I'd heard about Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13. I knew those things. And so really, when I got saved, nobody was there but me and Jesus. But a lot of people influenced my life. And so some of you would be like that. Others of you, maybe it was at a revival meeting, maybe at a crusade, who knows. But there was a man that came along by the name of Donald McGavern. And he wrote this study. It was a book that came out in 1955 that's entitled The Bridges of God. Now, let me tell you what he means by his title. God has saved each of us en route to somebody else. 
Do you believe that tonight? God has saved us to reach somebody else. And so his premise in the book is simply God has a network around your life. People you know, family members, people with whom you do life, neighbors, etc. And God is using you, if you'll let him, as a bridge to reach these people for Jesus. And so the purpose of McGavern's study and ultimately his book was to shed light on the process of how peoples became Christian. So he was somebody who studied missions. We call that a missiologist. So he was studying missions, and he wanted to discover how people around the world, not just in America, but literally all over the world, how people were coming to faith in Christ. And here's what he discovered when he did his survey work and his study. He discovered that they came largely through family relationships and friendships that he called the bridges of God. So what he's saying in his study and book is that you're a bridge for God, and I'm a bridge for God. We are conduits through which the gospel can flow and reach someone else. Now, when he first came up with this in 1955, a lot of church leaders didn't read his findings because they thought it was primarily for missions work. One of the things we've learned over the years is we should never differentiate missions from evangelism because they're one and the same, right? Missions is evangelism, and evangelism is missions. So you're a missionary. (laughs) Wherever God has you, your, your people that are in your life, God has you among those people to hopefully reach some of them for the Lord Jesus. And so when McGavran did his study that became the book entitled Bridges of God, people began ultimately over the years, not immediately, but ultimately to sit up and think, well, maybe there's something to what he has to say. There was another man who came along by the name of Win Arn, who runs what is called the Institute for American Church Growth. And so what he did was, it's going to get good here in a minute. Don't y'all be bored on me. What he did was, he built on McGavern's initial discoveries. And he conducted this 17,000-person survey in 1980, basically trying to get an answer to this question. What or who was responsible for your coming to Christ and coming into your church? So it was a nationwide study. It wasn't just among Baptists, but it was among all evangelical groups. Y'all do know that we're not the only ones, right? Now, I love us. I've already told you, if I wasn't a Baptist, I'd be ashamed. I don't really mean that. Well, maybe. No. Listen, hey, that reminds me of a story, and you need to hear this story. Did you hear about... Did you hear about the guy that that got to heaven 
And he was there in this group of new arrivals. I don't know why we say it like this, but St. Peter met him at the gate and was taking them from the gate all through heaven, giving them this great tour of their new eternal home. So they were walking through all these places and, and they began to walk down a long corridor. And before they got to the end of it, Peter stopped the group and looked at the group and said, listen, we're about to round a corner, and when we go around the corner, there will be a room on your left, and when you cross that area and you're making your way past that room, be very quiet, don't talk, tiptoe, don't alert anybody. And so they did just that. They tiptoed around that room. They got down that hallway, and, and finally somebody just asked Peter, what's going on in that room back there where we couldn't make a sound? He said, well, that's where we keep all the Baptists, and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> so I say that just to remind you, we're not going to be the only ones in heaven, amen? We're not. And so Arne did this study to discover among evangelical churches across America how the people in those churches were coming to Christ and were connecting to the churches. And he published his findings in a book that was entitled The Master's Plan for Making Disciples. I could say much more about that, but I'm going to move forward. People gave... When he did his nationwide survey of 17,000 people in evangelical churches, people gave eight primary responses to his question. First of all, some said that they were reached in a big old mass evangelism event like a crusade, but I want you to look at the numbers. Can everybody read those numbers? That's not two, that's 0.25, that's a quarter. So a quarter of a percent to a half a percent of the people who were reached said that they were reached at a crusade. Number two, visitation. One to two percent of people said it was a visitation, cold call visitation. The church was out and they were knocking on doors etc. Special needs, again, 1% to 2%. These are churches that, that have ministries that are aimed toward people with all sorts of special needs. And they said that's how they were reached. Walk-in, 2 to 3%. Again, that's just somebody that comes from the outside and comes into the church, hears the gospel, and ultimately gets saved some type of church program, 2 to 3%. That could be all kinds of things. used to be softball. Y'all remember when we played softball all the time? Thank God we got over that. <laughs> because we were offending each other a lot more than we were reaching anybody for Christ. You can say amen or oh me. But some type, of, but we did reach some people that way. I'm not making fun of it. Well, maybe a little bit, but not much. Sunday school, four to five percent. A pastor reached me, five to six 
6%, but here's what I want you to see. When Arn did his study, he discovered that the grand majority of people are reached with the gospel, saved, and are now a part of their church because a friend cared enough to be a fisher or a relative, a mother, a father, a cousin, whomever, somebody that already had a close relationship with this person cared enough to take the gospel to him or to her. All right, let's advance to one more. This is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Gary McIntosh, and uh, he, he repeated the study that Arne did just a few years ago back in 2016, and he wrote this book based on the study uh, that, that was simply entitled Growing God's Church, subtitle, How People Are Actually Coming to Faith Today. And so he studied the who and the how, the who being who are the evangelists, who are the fishers of men, that are reaching people for the Lord Jesus, and then number two, how are they doing it? So he studies the who and the how. I hope you can make some sense out of that. Notice what he found. The person who led the new convert to faith in Christ, so the who here, work colleagues, 4.5%, other, could just be anybody... 13.6%, a staff member from the church, pastor, youth pastor, whoever, staff member from the church, 22.7%, a friend, 22.7%, but look at this, a family member, 31.8%. Here's what I want you to do, put friends and family members together. And so what are you finding out again? When we've done the research, McGavern said, it's the bridges of God. It's the people who are already saved that have relationships with others that are reaching people in the sphere of their influence for the gospel. Arn redoes that study. McIntosh does it again. And what do we learn? Over and over and over again, people are being reached by those that they already know. Don't fail me. Now, I already told you my story. I came to faith, you know, the moment of my salvation, I was alone. But my evangelists were my parents, my grandparents, my Sunday school teachers people I knew. And so how was this guy, Alan Dotson, how was he reached with the gospel through close relationships? How many of you would raise your hand tonight and say, I was reached with the gospel because somebody that already knew me, family member, church person that I grew up with, a neighbor, whoever it was, somebody that was in my life shared with me about Jesus? Raise your hand. Keep your, raise it higher if you don't mind. Now, just look around the room. All right, you put your hand down. Jesus said, follow me 
and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. If we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, we, we certainly can do a lot of things. And I, I think you ought to have a big old net, you know, because that's how they fished in the first century. It's like the picture that I have on the screen there. They, they cast the big net and they cast it wide. And then they pulled in whatever they could catch. And I'm for having a big net because, listen, nobody, especially here in Mount Vernon, Kentucky, in Rockcastle County, nobody ought to be left out. Nobody ought to be left out. And so I'm for a great big net if you only catch one or two by some type of ministry, well, that ministry was important for that one or two. Amen? If you're just going to catch one or two, uh, by, I'll go back to my example a moment ago, even though we don't do it these days, but softball, if you're going to reach one or two by doing an event like that or an activity like that, we ought to do it because that one or two was worth it. But my friends... If we're going to reach our community, we, we can't shirk it. This is the way it happens. You go out and I go out and we take the gospel. We're the bridges of God. We take the gospel to the people that are in our lives or the research tells us that they're probably not going to get reached. So it's important that we think about a few things. I'm going to put this up quickly, and I want to move on and get to one thing where we'll land the plane tonight. Uh, the methods of, of reaching people for Christ, worship service in McIntosh's work, and remember, it's a recent work, going back to 2016. He's saying that our worship service really is not where we reach people, and we know that to be true. Bill, I remember over at Freedom Baptist Church when I was there, dad was pastor as a little boy. Lost people used to come to church. I, I won't call his name, but somebody, many of you in this room would know, I remember one particular man and he would, he would be more faithful than anybody just about that, that came anyway. But he was lost. Remember we would have those invitations, and literally, he, he was a white knuckler. You know what those are, right? They'd hold on to the pew till the knuckles turned white. But, but he kept coming, and people kept praying. And I remember the morning, on a Sunday morning, when he let go of the pew and he walked down the aisle, and my dad led him to faith in the Lord Jesus. We don't see that a whole lot anymore, do we? Frankly, lost people, lost people by and large are not coming. They're just not. Now, we wish they would, right? We, we wish that lost people would come, hear the gospel, and be saved. And occasionally that happens, but by and large, it does not happen. Uh, teaching ministry, four and a half percent. Uh, 
a special needs 9.1 evangelistic event, 9.1 visitation, 9.1 conversation. Now look where the numbers start changing here. Conversation with family member, 18.2. Conversation with a friend, 22.7. Visitation, 27.3. And then there's this big other, 27.3, which is a variety of things uh, like regular attendance, family devotions, personal Bible reading, church camps, VBS, TV, radio, campus ministry, There are other ways that we reach people with the gospel, but let's go back to that slide and let that burn down into your heart tonight. Most people will come to Christ because of a conversation with a family member or a friend. That's where it's at. So, let me give you a few thoughts, and I'm going to put them all up, and we'll just go through them quickly. And I won't keep you over time tonight. A lot of our revivalistic methods that came out of the Great Awakenings, those aren't going to work. I still believe in revival. And I'm thankful for revival. But as far as reaching people for Christ, by and large, that's not how it works. People are looking for hope, but we can't force it on them how they're going to take it. You know, we can't say, look, this is how we do evangelism and you either get saved by the way we do it or you don't get saved. Now, how ridiculous. That's not being a fisher of men, right? It's just not. We can't force them to come to the Lord on our terms. We can do some things. We can improve the way we welcome, the way we follow up, our side door ministries, We can do all of that, but we have to reach our family members, our neighbors, our friendship networks. Uh, You probably heard it before, but you remember Fran. In fact, there's a great guy that that calls this frangelism. Remember your friends. Remember your relatives, remember your acquaintances or your associates, those people that are just out there in the margin of your life. But God has put them in your life. And then your neighbors, friends, relatives, associates, or acquaintances, and your neighbors. Who are the people in your life and my life that God has put there strategically that he's calling you and me to fish for, to be a bridge of God, to reach that person. Uh, Not boasting, but I had a conversation this afternoon with one of my neighbors, and he's a tough one, a tough, tough one. And you know what? If I get, if I just get down into the nitty-gritty of it with him and and tell him something like, you need to come to Jesus, you're going to go and be in hell for eternity, I'll probably never get to talk to him again. He's that kind of hard person. But you know what I'm doing is gradually, uh, day by day, when I see him this afternoon, I was, I was doing some things, and he was out doing some things, and, and we talked together, but my intention was to keep building that relationship so that 
the moment will come that I can lead him to Christ. Who are the people in your life? I've said everything I've said tonight to simply ask you this question. Who are the people in your life? Who are your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors? Who are the people in your life that need Jesus? Who are they? Number one, are you praying for them by name every day? I believe with all my heart, we've been talking some about prayer, but I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons we don't see people saved the way we used to is that we don't pray for them like we used to. But pray for them every day. But you have to put feet on your prayers. Dare to share because the call to follow is the call to fish. And the way people are reached are by those of us who are already in the fold. And we have a relationship with those people. Again, no, this has been a different kind of time, but I just felt like I needed to share this with you tonight. And there may be some of us that need to make a commitment tonight to be one who shares more regularly and more prayerfully. And perhaps God's calling you to make a public decision regarding that tonight, or perhaps just in your heart. God's calling you to think about next Sunday, Brother Eddie being here in the revival services beyond next Sunday. Who are the people that God has in your life that you're going to reach, that you're going to invite, that you're going to say, hey, I'll come pick you up, bring you with me if you'll just come. Who are your friends? Who are the people? that God wants to reach through your personal relationship. Let's stand together. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. After I pray, we'll sing. And uh, if, if someone needs to come publicly, maybe there's somebody here tonight that hasn't received Jesus. I want you to know you can come and he will meet you where you are tonight. You can be saved. If there's somebody that's burdened, for a lost family member or friend and you want to come and just be on your knees in an altar of prayer, God's called you to do that. Would you come tonight? Whatever God has said to you, would you just do the business that God asks you to do with Him as we close? Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for our time together. Thank You, Father, that we're reached. But Lord, help us to reach those around us with the gospel of Jesus. Father, help us to see from the research that's been done, from the calling you placed on our lives, that there are people in our sphere of influences that if we don't reach them, nobody else will. And God, help us be committed to reach them in prayer and, Father, and in speech in whatever, Lord, you do in our lives to cross our paths with them. I pray, Lord, tonight we'd be better fishers for you. In Jesus' name, amen.